You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. When I was a little kid, I remember uh, observing my mother, um, and my mom would often um, complain about her old ironing board, her old iron, a vacuum that didn't work. And I was a little kid at this time, and I just remember like over and over, every time she would get these things out, like, oh, I hate this iron, or I hate this ironing board, like it doesn't work anymore, it's, it's old, it's not functioning very well anymore. And so in my little kid mind, my little kid brain, I came up with a brilliant idea. You see, Mother's Day was coming up in a few short weeks. And so I I pulled my dad aside and I said, Dad, I have a really good idea of some things that we could get mom for Mother's Day. I think she would love a brand new iron, a brand new ironing board, a brand new vacuum, And my wise, wise father sat me down as a little kid, and he said, son, let me tell you exactly why that will not communicate what your mother, what you think it will. (laughs) So we got her a washing machine instead. (laughs) Isn't it true, isn't it true that the gifts that we offer to other people communicate something for better or worse? Intentionally or unintentionally, the gifts, the things that we offer to others always communicate worth, always communicate value. They always communicate something. And the same thing is true with God, with the way that we approach God. In fact, God's worth in my life is communicated by what I offer him. God's worth in my life is communicated by what I offer him. That is a statement that you're going to hear over and over throughout the sermon this morning. That is the central idea. If you're you're taking notes, write this down, that God's worth in my life is communicated by what I offer him. And as you read the scriptures, as you read this book, what you'll find over and over again is that there were gifts, there were offerings brought to God that communicated worth to him. And that there were others that he was displeased with that did not communicate worth to him. Take, for example, Abraham in Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is the very first time in Scripture where the word worship is actually mentioned. And Abraham is called by God to bring his son, the most precious thing in the world to him, and sacrifice him as an act of worship to God, and Moses' response when God calls him is, here I am. In other words, Lord, before you ask a thing, the answer is yes. And this offering that, that Abraham was willing to bring God was pleasing to God because it was costly and precious and communicated tremendous worth to God. But then there's the flip side where people bring less than their best, less than stellar things to God in worship, and it communicates a different thing, whether it's diseased animals or lame animals or their second and third fruit offerings, their leftovers to God, and he's displeased. For example, Saul. 
Saul was the king of Israel, and he was commanded by God to annihilate Israel's enemy, including all livestock. And what does Saul do? He has the brilliant idea that he's going to reserve some of the best livestock and offer that as an offering to God. So he steals the enemy's livestock after defeating them and offers those as an offering. And God ultimately rejects it because it did not communicate worth to God. It did not communicate what Saul wanted it to communicate because it cost him nothing. And in the end, it cost him the kingship. I think to my my little kids, uh, my wife's birthday was just a couple weeks ago. And one of my daughters is like rummaging through her junk drawer. And she finds a seashell in her exact words, and I quote, where I want to give this to mom because I don't really care about it that much anymore. (laughs) So I had a chance to be a very wise father in that moment and say, Emery, those are not the way that we give gifts. That's not the type of gift givers that we are going to be. I want to ask you the question this morning, if God's worth in my life is communicated by what I offer him, what is my life saying about God's worth? What is my life saying about God's worth? I think to another instance in scripture where David has an opportunity. He has just sinned. He has just disobeyed God. And he has an opportunity to bring an offering to God. And he has an opportunity. He's presented with with a gift where he doesn't actually have to pay anything for these animals to be offered. And he's presented with this option to do the same thing that Saul does. And what does David say in response to this, this gift, this offering that involves no sacrifice? He says this in 1 Chronicles. He says, I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. God's worth in my life is communicated by what I am willing to offer him. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, well, we don't offer sacrifices anymore. Like, isn't that an Old Testament idea? Isn't that like something of the past? And if you're sitting there thinking we don't offer sacrifices anymore, I would say you're wrong. I'm just kidding. That was really harsh. You're wrong. We actually do offer sacrifices still. We're actually deeply called to offer sacrifices still. We don't offer sacrifices of atonement anymore for sin, but we are called to offer sacrifices of adoration, sacrifices of worship. Romans 12, and these are not going to be on the screen, but I just want to really quickly bullet point through these. Romans 12.1 says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Hebrews 13 says to offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually. 1 Peter 2 says we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices, which means to declare the wonderful works of him who has called us out of darkness and into a marvelous light. The New Testament is filled with story after story of people who brought costly, sacrificial worship to God. They came from places like prison cells and underground churches and people with bleeding backs and praising lips, people in exile and on death row, all offering worship, a sacrifice of worship, costly worship that communicated how much God is worth in their lives. Why? Because they lived with a crazy conviction That despite what is happening in the world around me, despite what is happening in my own life and my own feelings and my own circumstances, he is still worthy of it all. Why? Because God's worth in my life 
is communicated by what I offer him. In fact, the very word for worship is actually a compound English word. It's an old English word, worship, and it has two parts to it. And if you were to break down kind of the meaning of the word worship, you can break it down this way, worth-ship. In other words, worship always communicates the value of something. What place it holds in your life. Worship quite literally ascribes worth. It always communicates worth. In fact, the Trinity can be said to be always at worship because the, the, the model of the Trinity is to constantly behold the worth and wonder of one another. Father beholding the worth and wonder of the Spirit and the Spirit doing the same thing for the Son and the Son doing the, just in constant cycles of beholding the worth and wonder of one another. And so I ask us again, what is my life saying about God's worth? Like for some of us, I think we come into this place and maybe we have raised hands, but our knuckles are gripped with worry. And so our worship isn't costing us anything. We're not surrendering that. We're not bringing that. For others of us, we maybe sing songs of surrender, but deep down, if we were to excavate our hearts, we have a desperate need to control everything and everyone around us. And yet for others of us, Maybe our lips express gratitude in a song, but our hearts are full of discontentment and uneasiness about what we don't have. What is, what is my life saying about God's worth? As we dive into the kind of main text that we're in today, I want to look at a teaching, and it's a very short teaching that Jesus gave on this very idea. It's three verses total. And what we're going to do is we're going to excavate these three verses for everything that they're worth. And so I want to invite you, if you will, to open with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, and this is a very short parable that Jesus is sharing with his disciples about the worth of God. And this is what Jesus says. He says, the kingdom of heaven, in verse 44, is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And then Jesus tells another parable just like it. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So you have these two different characters that Jesus is highlighting here. One, presumably on the poor end of the spectrum, a man hunting for treasure in a field. We can assume maybe he was a field laborer, a day laborer. And then another guy, a pearl merchant, who would have been very, very wealthy in this time and age. And what's interesting about the story that Jesus tells is anytime Jesus tells a story that might like, sound kind of weird, it's most likely rooted in a deeper context that he's living in. Right? And so to find a treasure in a field is something a little bit foreign to us. We don't hide treasure in a field, but, but during Jesus' time and during his culture, they would often hide their treasure in the field, especially during times of war, because banks weren't trustworthy. You, you couldn't store your treasure with a bank, so you would hide it in a field. So what Jesus is talking about here is not something that's like super outside of their imagination or their lived experience. But you have this rich guy and this poor guy who both stumble upon a treasure 
And yet when they find the treasure, whether it's a treasure in a field or a pearl, they assess its value and determine that it's worth liquidating everything else for. It is a treasure that ruins all other treasures for these guys. And what is this treasure? At the center of this field, what Jesus is getting at is this treasure is the presence and the power and the glory and the reign of God in your life. So that, when fully understood, is a treasure that will ruin all other treasure for you. That, when fully understood, will cause you to be willing to leave some things behind, even at sacrifice, even at cost to yourself. I heard the statement this past week that, that the more that we experience of Jesus' presence, like the deeper that we go into that place, the more we experience of his love and begin to understand who he is in our lives, the less we actually want to take with us in that place. Because he becomes enough. So I'm willing to leave some things behind because Jesus is the prize. I'm willing to leave things behind that I have ascribed ultimate value to in my life because I see him for who he is and he is a treasure at the center of the field that is worth liquidating everything else for. The problem is that this is not how most of us approach worship. For, for most of us, when, when we think about worship, we think about singing music on a stage, right? And I resonate with Linnea's story earlier because I am that guy who cannot sing to save my life, right? And so I believed a lie for a lot of my life that I must not be as good of a worshiper as the person like my wife who can sit next to me and sing way better than I can. But I think there's a different way that we are called to experience and live into this idea of a lifestyle of worship. I want to illustrate it this way. A few weeks ago, uh, we were able to finalize the adoption of our son, Theo. After three and a half years of, of waiting while he was in foster care with us, we finally were able to sign on the line and finalize it, and it was a big celebration. We threw a big party about this event. I mean, we were elated. We are elated. And... Uh, and I remember this party, it was, it was awesome. We had um, rented out a pavilion in the park, so many different friends and family members and loved ones. So many of you guys came out to, to celebrate our little boy and people showered him with gifts and, and we got cake and, and brought the slideshow and just words of love and value and worth communicated. And, and I remember that night, we got home from this party and we had just finished opening up all of the gifts that people had gotten him, read all the cards, and our kids went to bed. And Sam turned to me and he said, so, so what did you think about the events of the day? What did you think about the party tonight? Like, what are your thoughts? And I looked at her and I responded and I said, eh, it was okay. I mean, nobody brought me gifts. We had certain flavors of cake, but I like others, other flavors of cake. I mean, we served Big B coffee, and I really prefer Starbucks coffee. <laughs> I mean, everybody thought how great Theo was, but nobody told me how great I was. I didn't really get anything out of the party. Some of us, most of us probably in this room want to shake me right now and say, the party was not intended to communicate your value and your worth, Brad. It was intended to communicate value and worth to your son. To which I would say, why do we come into the church with that same exact attitude? 
that the assessment of the value of our worship is somehow tied to how it made us feel, or if we preferred the songs that were sang, or if it elicited some emotion in us, to which I would say, we don't worship because of what it makes us feel like. We worship because he is worthy of it. That's why we worship. For no other reason. And, and worship, real worship, has the power and has the ability to stir our affections and stir our emotions. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we worship because of his worthiness, not because of what we get out of it. And so even before we go on, about halfway through the sermon, I just want to invite us to pause for a moment. In light of what Jesus said is a treasure in a field worth liquidating everything for, I want to invite you to just consider for a moment how worthy God actually is of worship in your life. In fact, we did this in our prayer time before service. We asked different volunteers and went around the room, and I just asked them, why is God worthy of our worship? And so many of the things that, that our volunteers said, just kind of popcorn style all around the room, are some of the exact same things that I wrote down in preparation for this message here today. And so what I want to do is, even just right now, before we go on, I want to just read to you why God is worthy of our worship, why God is worthy of offering everything to, to tell him how much value he has in our lives. So I want to invite you just for a moment to, to just close your eyes right where you are, Limit distractions. Limit the noise. And I just want to read this list over us and invite you to ponder it. God is worthy of our worship because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is worthy of worship because great is his faithfulness. You can take him at his word. He is worthy of your worship because he is not just holy. He is holy, 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 completely above and beyond me. He is worthy of worship because while he is holy, he is also more humble than I am. He's more humble than me. He's worthy of worship because he draws near to the brokenhearted, the downtrodden, he is worthy of worship because he is indescribable by mere words. Words cannot contain him, which means you cannot exaggerate him. He is worthy because he is the author and sustainer of life. He's worthy because he is a master of taking broken things and redeeming them. He's worthy because he chooses the most unworthy people to display his glory in the world. He's worthy because he's patient and kind. He is quick to show abounding love and slow to show anger. He is worthy because even the best I have to offer him is described as filthy rags, yet he loves me with the ferocious love of a perfect father for his son or daughter, which means there's nothing I cannot bring him. And finally, and I think maybe this is one of the most important ones, he is worthy because he is worthy. Independent of anything he can do for me, anything he can offer me, any circumstance he can change or transform, he is worthy because he is worthy. He is the ultimate treasure buried in the field. So you guys can go ahead and open your eyes again, but, but the reason I wanted to just take some time to do that 
is because it's easy for us to talk about all of the ways that maybe we don't approach worship the right way, but, but turning our affections and our attention and our hearts towards who God is is the first step in a heart that is fully given to him in worship. And yet, every single one of our hearts have worth and value placed in something. Every single one of us do. And it's easy to, to fool ourselves into thinking we are worshipers because we come to a church service and, and we feel some emotion. We, we come to the altar. But if that's the extent of our worship, we're missing the hidden treasure that Jesus wants us to discover. You see, there are 8,760 hours in a year. And if you came here to this place every single Sunday without fail throughout the year, which let's be honest, nobody does that, okay? I don't even do that. But if you were here every single Sunday without fail, every single Sunday of the year, that's still less than 1% of your year. Less than 1%. Let's say you add a couple other things on top of it. You listen to podcasts and other pastors and read some books and, and are immersed in scripture, which I hope all of us do, right? I, don't, I hope I'm not the only voice that you're listening to. Even adding five extra hours a week into that, that's still less than 4% of our years spent at the altar. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. That the type of worshipers that God is after are not people who come to the altar and then leave and have everything fall apart. The type of worshipers that God is after is people who never leave the altar to begin with whose entire lives are offered in sacrifice of worship, who are willing to offer God costly, sacrificial worship that means leaving some things behind and liquidating some things in our lives so that more of us can experience more of him. You want to know what your heart values most? You want to know like where your heart is attached or what your heart worships? I want to give you two really practical tests to discover that this week. These are really simple tests. They're a little painful, but I want to challenge you to try these two this week. The first thing to do to discover what it is that you worship or what it is your, your heart values most is the solitude test here. What is the solitude test? The solitude test is getting yourself alone and paying attention to where your thoughts tend to wander. What is taking up your attention in those moments? What is keeping you up at night? What is causing you anxiety? What do you obsess about? Like, where do your thoughts wander when you get alone? What do you fantasize about effortlessly? What do you worry about endlessly? What does your mind replay every single day when you get yourself alone? What do you focus on? You spend some time exploring that. You start to unearth and uncover what it is that you are worshiping. The second one is equally as effective, but maybe a little bit more painful. And that's the people test. Go to the people that are closest to you on this planet. The people who love you but are not impressed by you. For some of us, that's our kids. And ask them, what do I seem to value most? Like, what am I most passionate about? What do I not shut up about? Right? What do I seem to value or put a lot of my worth in? When you think of me, what words come to mind? Like if I go to my kids, and, and I actually do this regularly. I, I go to my kids and I say, what do you think mom and dad value most? 
And I'm paying attention to that. Because if they ever say, well, you value the church the most, or, or your job the most, or you value the house the most, or money the most, or the car the most, or whatever it might be, if there's anything that is valued most other than Jesus, when you go to ask the people around you what you value most, you've discovered where it is you may worship, what altar you worship at. That's a hard, hard place to go. But I actually believe that, that God is not looking for the most gifted worshipers. He's not looking for the people who can sing on key the best. Who he is looking for are the most given worshipers. The ones willing to leave behind what they will for the sake of discovering the treasure at the center of the field, which is him and his presence. So are we willing to do what it takes to go deeper into that, even when it means leaving some things behind? Even when it means costly sacrificial worship. Jesus cannot be the means to your treasure. He is your treasure. He is the one at the center of the field worth pursuing. So as we continue on here, I just want to ask this question, what is in my hand right now that I can offer to God in worship? What is in my hand right now that I can offer to God in worship? You see, it's easy for us to, to read a text like this and say, well, I just need to give God everything, everything. I don't know if that's the most helpful starting point because he is worthy of everything. But if that's all we ever do, what we can do is, is never actually start somewhere. Right? Like if you're worried about the future right now, you say, well, I just need to give God my future. No, you actually, the future's not yours to give God. What is yours to give God is the worry you are experiencing in the present about the future. That's your sacrifice of worship. Same thing is true with like money and finances. Like let's say you, you, you are constantly coming up short and you say to yourself, okay, I will offer my money and my finances to God when it feels like there's finally enough to be able to offer him. To which I would say, you're not giving him what's in your hand right now. He is the treasure at the center of the field that is worthy of our costly worship. He is the one. He is the object of our worship. If money is tight, you don't offer him a promise that you will one day worship him with your finances. You begin worshiping him with what is in your hand to offer him right now. Same thing is true of time. Like some of us are here in this room and we won't lead a small group like Sam and Olivia talked about earlier because we feel like we don't have enough time to offer God right now in this moment. What if your posture going into this fall was, you know what, I don't have enough time. Who has enough time, right? I don't think I've ever met anybody that says I have more than enough time in my life, right? We're all busy. But what if your approach to even just the way you do ministry this fall in this church, in this community, is to say, you know what, leading a small group, that might not be, if I'm, if I'm living for myself or worshiping myself, that might not be the top priority for me. But what if that it was a sacrifice of worship that you were willing to offer God in this next season? To say, there are actually some people in this church that need what I have to offer. So I am going to worship him in a costly way by stepping into a new calling and a new purpose that he might be placing on my life. 
Worship begins with offering God what is in my hand right now, and then I do the next thing tomorrow, and the same thing the day after that, and the same thing after that. If you're worried about the future, offer him your worry as an act of worship today, and then do the same thing tomorrow, and the same thing the next day. Offer him what is in your hand right now. If you're still not convinced that he is worthy of whatever is in your hand right now to offer him in worship, I want to go back to Matthew 13 and just read this story one more time through a different lens for us. I want to read Matthew 13, 44 through 46 one more time through a different lens. This is what it says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know, there are two ways to actually read this parable. There are two ways that scholars interpret this parable. The first way is what we've talked about this whole morning, that God is worth leaving everything behind for our pursuit of worship that he is the treasure in the field. That's, that's the first way. It's this idea that God's worth in my life is communicated by what I offer him. Right? We, we sell everything we have. We leave everything behind like Jesus talks about. And then we enter and discover this treasure in the field. And that treasure is worth liquidating everything for. God's worth in my life, if you want to put that statement up there, Marina, God's worth in my life is communicated by what I offer him. But if that's all I understand about this parable, I can walk away with another religious to-do list of just, this is what I got to do for God. This is what I got to offer him. This is what I got to do for God. And it's not actually motivated by love for God and adoration of God and worship of God. It's just another kind of motion to go through because you love Jesus or you're trying to follow him. You look not that different than the religious leaders of Jesus' day if that's your only approach to this. But there's a second way to read this parable. And I actually had never read this parable this way until this week in studying it and realized a lot of scholars interpret it a completely different way. And the second way that scholars interpret this parable is this, that God's worth in my life is uncovered by what he has offered me. God's worth in my life is communicated by what I offer him, but God's worth in my life is uncovered by what he has offered me. See, if you want to understand how to worship like really offer a sacrifice of worship, it begins with understanding the value of the treasure that's at stake if we don't seek to do this. A parable about a man who discovers a treasure in a field or a pearl in a market and leaves behind everything in order to purchase that pearl, that treasure at great cost to himself, that sounds a lot like the gospel. That sounds a lot like Jesus, who discovered a treasure in a field, you and me, humanity, and liquidated everything he had, his heavenly riches, his heavenly glory, and became a man, the most humble, the most servant-hearted man, the lowliest of the low in his culture, in his society. Why? To purchase you and me on a cross. See, if you're ever doubting what God is worth in your life, I think we actually need to understand this parable through both lenses. 
that before we ever liquidate everything for Jesus, our hearts first have to be captured by what he has done on a cross for us. That if you're ever doubting, if you're ever wondering, is Jesus worth it? Is he worthy of my worship? Is he worthy of my affection? How do I communicate that to them? him? It always begins with looking at the cross. God's worth in your life is uncovered by what he has offered you, and there is one place where you can look at what he has offered you, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. So if you're ever tempted to doubt whether or not God is worthy of your worship, look at the cross. If you're ever tempted to wonder, is leaving everything behind for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus, the treasure at the center of the field, look at the cross. That God offered his best to us. And our response to that, our only adequate response to that, is what we offer him. I... um. Many of you know the, the love languages. Um, Gary Chapman's book, Five Different Love Languages. And one of my, um, one of my love languages, probably the, the highest one on, on the list for me is uh, words of affirmation. Like I really, um, when people speak love to me, that like, really communicates love to me. But the problem for me is that I've lived a lot of my life seeking the love, the approval, the admiration of other people, sometimes to the detriment of God's approval. And uh, my worth, my, my own sense of self-value would rise and fall based on the opinion of other people. And it was through this season of COVID 2020, 2021, where God did some very real refining in my life, partly because I couldn't make a decision that everybody approved of to save my life, none of us could. But what that began to explore or kind of uncover in me is that if I'm willing to let the approval of people, like people-pleasing, be the thing that drives my life, I'm willing to sacrifice integrity for that end. I'm willing to pay attention to other people's approval at the expense of God's approval. Like, one of the things I learned through this last season is that the approval of people is a really fickle thing, extremely fickle. And the cross, the cross says there's already one who has approved of me. And because of that, I can leave behind my need to seek the approval of other people. I'm not saying I don't care about the opinions of other people, but I can actually leave behind the obsessive need to be approved of, to impress people. Because the cross of Jesus Christ invites me to do just that. He is the only one who needs, who approves of me. And so the question I want to ask as we close today is what is in my hand to offer right now? What is in my hand to offer in worship to Jesus right now? Maybe it's a calling that God is placing on your life. You say, I had an idea of what this next year is going to look like, but God, I want you to stir something different in me. Maybe for you, it's, it's doing the solitude test. You're not really sure what that is yet, so you're going to do the solitude test and the people test this week and begin exploring that. But the question I want to leave you with today is what today, right now, 
is in my hand to offer God and worship the only one who is worthy of taking that. Let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to respond in worship today. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. Father, may you find our sacrifice of worship, our costly worship. May you find that communicating value and love to you. God, because you are worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship. We don't come trying to prove ourselves, trying to be the most gifted worshipers. We come and, and we seek to be the most given worshipers, the one who are willing to, to liquidate everything because you have ruined all other treasure for us, because you are the treasure that our hearts are after. And so, God, this morning we just declare you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy. And we love you. It's in the holy and matchless name of Jesus that we pray and that we worship this morning. And all God's people said, amen.